0: Thank you for talking to me today in this Judge Business School white paper podcast. Can you begin by telling me why your research challenges conventional notions on how technological growth has taken off in the USA?
1: I think it challenges these uh, conventional views because it asks some very direct questions about the role that different industries play and the role that different types of firms play and the role that different providers of finance play. And in each of those cases, the evidence isn't consistent with what is usually thought to be the main story behind the US productivity growth acceleration at the end of the last century.
0: Because it's a growth that many economies, including the UK economy, think that they can emulate and copy, and that it comes from companies like Microsoft.
1: Well, one of the main driving forces which affects the countries that other countries look to to derive policies is whether or not the country as a whole is extremely fast-growing in terms of productivity and the output of of the country. In the case of the United States, from the mid-1990s onwards, it seemed that they had achieved something quite remarkable, which is to improve their overall rate of productivity growth very significantly at a time when European economies weren't experiencing a similar acceleration. In those circumstances, it was natural to begin to look at the United States to see what had lain behind the productivity growth.
0: But you're saying it's also the application of technology in the USA, for instance, service sector uh, companies like Walmart, rather than just those which are mainstream technological, perhaps like Microsoft again.
1: Well, that's what emerges when you begin to look at why the productivity growth occurred, because one way of looking at the United States and its productivity growth performance is to assume that it's based on a tremendously dynamic interchange between universities and businesses in which there has been a huge amount of entrepreneurial spin-off based on high-technology companies. And that it seems to follow from that that the industries in which those occur are the drivers of productivity growth and productivity growth improvement. That's why it's important to look at actually which sectors did lead the productivity growth, find out if they are high-technology based, and then within those industries find out the role that relatively small and relatively large firms played.
0: And you also cite in your paper that, you know, there are many start-ups in a year, but but a lot of start-ups fail. They don't all succeed, and they're not all related to university spin-off companies.
1: Well, it helps, I think, if we we address these questions one by one. If you look at that particular question, that's uh, an argument that if you have lots of spin-offs in a particular area, they will be the main drivers of productivity growth. Well, the first thing to note in relation to university spin-offs is they're often very significant in particular cases, but in relation to the total number of uh, new firms which are started in the high technology industries and more generally, they're a very small proportion. And so in thinking about their impact, you have to look both at the scale of their activity as well as the particular cases where it's well known that major breakthroughs have occurred. And when you do that, what you find is that in general... Small firms, including university spin offs, which enter new industries, they have both high failure rates and very few actually succeed in growing to significant size. Now, by itself, that's not a reason to say you shouldn't uh, encourage spin offs or that some of them will play a major role, but they have to be seen in the context of the wider forces that are driving productivity change in industries. And when you do that, and there's lots of evidence that uh, bears on this you find that most of the productivity growth in any given industry is accounted for by the improvement in productivity of the existing firms. And actually, when you think about it, it's not surprising because they account for most of the output, so they carry most weight. So the argument here is, by all means, look at the role that spin-offs can play, but think extremely carefully about the forces that are going to drive productivity growth in larger firms. And when you do that, then it makes you think about the very many ways in which those firms can interact with universities, other than through licensing and spin-offs.
0: Is there anything an economy can do to encourage this kind of technological innovative growth? For instance, I believe in the US, uh, they had something called the Small Business Innovation Research Programme. Could we emulate that here?
1: Well, it's perhaps helpful in answering that question to explain what it does and the role that it plays in the United States. That particular programme is very important because it mandates all federal agencies with R&D expenditures to set aside 2.5% at least to spend on placing contracts with small businesses. And this means they have a very large early-stage investment pool of contracts that are placed with new businesses, many of which can be spinning off from the science base or otherwise be based on new scientific endeavours. The important thing about this scheme is that it's the placing of contracts. It's not grants. It's not conditional other people putting up money. Uh, Technical problems are identified, which a federal agency wishes to solve, and it must place some of these contracts in a competitive form with small businesses. In principle, that's a scheme which can be emulated in other countries. But there are two very important factors that will condition its success. The first of these is you have to have an ability to effectively manage the kind of contracting that this means. It's quite high risk contracting. Many of the problems won't be solved and you have to have a career structure for the people administering it in the civil service which allows that kind of risk. The second thing is very few countries have the scale of defense expenditure that the United States has and so the scale in which this intervention can occur may be more limited but there's plenty of scope for experimenting in particular in health for instance where the UK and other countries like Australia have significant health expenditures in the public sector. A great deal can be done there. And defence expenditures also can be thought about in this way. But more generally, wherever the public sector has the opportunity to make this kind of contracting intervention, it's a very important potential weapon. Uh, and just to emphasise, the reason that behind that is that it places contracts and it allows the government at a very early stage to fund, through contracts, some experiments now, that means in the United States that you have a very large pattern of expenditure which de-risks some early-stage investment. And in fact, the, uh, the value of these contracts are equivalent to the total value of formal venture capital in the United States. And the formal venture capital is able to invest in often what are companies that have grown through the her- high early risk stages um, through the SBIR program. So they're able to invest at a less risky later stage.
0: It's very much a multi-pronged approach, isn't it, to, to technological innovation and growth. Mm. And it's, it's quite complex. Do you think we could copy it in any way here, particularly now that there is more money being poured into the public sector because of the uh, onset of the recession?
1: Well, it's certainly going to be the case. that The an expansion of public sector expenditures then it would be very important to try and use those expenditures to boost our innovative capacity. And the placing of public contracts, R&D contracts in particular, could be a very important part of any programme in the next couple of
0: years. Okay. Given that we do have the onset of a recession now, do you think there's room for expansion and more innovative technological growth in the UK economy?
1: Well, it's a paradox that in recession there are sometimes many opportunities which otherwise wouldn't occur. Uh, In the last major recession in in the UK, for instance, and in in a number of years since then, a number of major multinationals have closed down and rationalised laboratories, and that's actually allowed the recruitment both of highly skilled people and the purchase of laboratory space and equipment at relatively low prices. The challenge is to be able to fund such activity and to be able to afford to put together Uh, the companies that can exploit that. One of the great advantages that the UK has currently is that it's moved its innovation policy um, to a more systems-based way of approaching innovation, so that the idea there are many parts to solving innovation difficulties in a given sector is increasingly recognised. Uh, The Technology Strategy Board, for instance, has in principle the ability to pull together sector-based policies to promote innovation. So the potential uh, is there, I think.
0: And also in the US economy too, innovation-based growth is going to be a big factor.
1: It's always going to be the case that uh, in an economy as substantial as the United States and as committed to the underlying performance of the economy, that great efforts will be made federally to do whatever is possible to sustain and develop the overall performance of the economy. In a way, they face many of the similar challenges to the ones that Europe have been experiencing, Uh, that is a belief that in the current financial crisis it may be extremely difficult to fund the kind of new investment required. But the United States economy has shown great resilience in the past and the state has played a very important role in those transformations. One of the great paradoxes about interpreting the very significantly improved performance of the US economy towards the end of the last century was that it was actually based on trying to model itself on many of the gains that they thought the Japanese and German economies had achieved by making closer links between universities and industry through various kinds of advanced technology program and other business university programs, not necessarily based around spin-offs, but around bringing universities and larger businesses closer
0: together. But just to sum up, what your paper is basically saying is that if, if we think that the UK economy can just copy the US innovation technological growth model, then we have some fine-tuning to do.
1: Well, I would say there are two issues here. One is that you have to understand much more clearly what the basis of the US economic recovery after 1995 was. And as I've argued, that's because it was based around the implementation of new technologies in technology using sectors. So the first lesson is look at the ways in which new technologies are diffused. The second is that it was based to some degree on major changes in the technology producing sectors themselves and that a large part of that was driven by very careful use of public sector R&D contracting. That's a story which is not well known and the lessons that I think are being learned. Uh, The third factor is that going forward it's always going to be the case that as our economies become more service-based, and the distinction between goods and services becomes blurred, that you will have a major impact on all the advanced economies by what happens to the services sector. That's where most people work, and even after the financial crisis, where most of the value is created. So that in the future, it's going to be the case that services play a very important role. However, many of the services are themselves linked to having a competitive and vibrant manufacturing sector. So in the case of the United Kingdom, for instance, one of the least remarked on but most important parts of our balance of payments performance in recent years has been the very rapid growth of technology-based consultancy of all kinds. Now, our ability to maintain this will be linked to the strength of our home market for these services, as well as the demand for them overseas, and much of that will be in manufacturing and process change.
0: Are you optimistic, then, that we can boost in the UK our innovation, our technological growth? It's already substantial uh, with Silicon Valley in Cambridge, but but are those models relevant to elsewhere? And will it be, play a significant part in the British economy in the future?
1: Well, the, the Cambridge Silicon Valley, Silicon Fen model, um, will be appropriate in some circumstances and it will not be appropriate in others. What, what's required is a differentiated approach in which the particular needs of particular sectors and types of firms are considered, a differentiated approach. And in that, it's important to recognize the very diverse roles that universities of different kinds can play. So the key is to think about the role that uh, universities can play in different industrial sectors in relation to different technologies and in relation to different regional settings. And it will differ quite considerably from place to place and sector to sector that means a rather differentiated approach to innovation policy.
0: Professor Alan Hughes, thank you for talking to us in this Judge Business School white paper podcast.
1: Well, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. Thank you.